listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. A special podcast, The Raven and How He Got That Way. And now, your host, Mark Redfield. I'm in Baltimore at the Westminster burying ground where Edgar Allan Poe was buried. And this marks the anniversary of a very, very famous poem. January is a very important month for Poe. It's the month of his birth and the month where a very, very famous poem he wrote was published and made him an instant rock star. If you travel around the back of Westminster, around the church, which is no longer a church, um, it ceased functioning as a church in the mid-1970s. The church was not here when Poe was buried in the back of the graveyard. And a few years after his burial, in 1849, there was a marker erected. Relatively simple stone marking his birth and his death. And on the top of it is a bird carved. And that bird for a famous American writer. It's not, uh, it's not an American eagle. It's a raven. Now, his beak is chipped by either accident or vandalism many years ago. But that bird is significant. There isn't a Poe impersonator on the planet that doesn't know the raven, Poe's poem, by heart. I know it by heart. It's performed everywhere. Most people say that they've experienced the poem, they came across the poem, they read the poem, or they had the poem read to them for the first time in high school in America. And Cademan Records had put out a series of readings of Poe done by the likes of Basil Rathbone and others, and there were readings of The Raven. When did you first hear of The Raven or read it? I seem to have known it uh, Almost all my adult life, I, I suppose that I heard it sometime as a teenager. Maybe you heard it through this very famous television show. Here's James Earl Jones reciting The Raven, with a little help from Homer and Lisa Simpson. The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor. I muttered. Tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Are we scared yet? Bart, he's establishing mood. Ah, distinctly I remember. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. 
Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Huh? Huh? Sorrow for the lost Lenore. Oh, Lenore. For the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. The silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis a visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. Yes, it is, and nothing more." Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. "Sir," said I, "or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore." But the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scared was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. <laughs> this better be good. Darkness there, and nothing more. Huh? You know what would have been scarier than nothing? What? Anything! Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping something louder than before. Surely, said I. Surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what their ad is and this mystery explore. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. <laughs> Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou. I said. But sure, no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven. Eat my shorts. Bart, stop it. He says never more, and that's all he'll ever say. Okay, okay. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed by some unseen censer, <laughs> swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch! I cried. Thy God hath led thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff! Oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore! Quoth the raven. Nevermore! Go! Be that word outside the parting, murder fiend! I shrieked up, starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the nice Platonian shore! No, leave no black plume as a token of the lie. Thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from off my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door, quoth the raven. Nevermore. Why, you little... Uh oh Come back here, you little raven! Still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. 
I love the Simpsons broadcast. It's very, very funny. And um, I'm sure you've heard it. If you're a, if you're a Poe fan, you've seen the episode. And if you're hearing it for the first time, seek it out because the visuals are as delightful as the sound. And as much as I love it, I, I have to be critical of one tiny little thing, and that's the overall concept that the poem, The Raven, is a horror story. The unnamed narrator in the story, in the poem, is dreading the fact that, well, half dreading and half hoping that the visitor at midnight is someone that he loved very much, who's gone, who's dead, the lost Lenore. There are memes out on the internet and that kind of thing that poke fun of the idea that of all the horror things that could alarm Poe, the only thing that seems to is a talking bird that repeats the word nevermore and sits upon a bust of palace above his chamber door. But it misses the point, really, because that's not the point of the poem. The poem is about the deep emotion of loss and realizing that this dead loved one is not coming back. But let's have our fun. It's uh, The Simpsons episode is wonderful. They parody things very, very well. If you're in Baltimore ever and are a Poe fan and uh, visit the historic places that are here in this city, you must come to Westminster Hall, which is on the corner of Fayette and Green Street. And just to clarify, Poe's remains are indeed under the monument that's up on the corner by the gate at Fayette and Green. He's buried there with the remains of Mariah Clem, his aunt, and his wife, Virginia. But do travel to the back and pay respects at the original burial place where there is a small marker. Also buried there in that place is David Poe Sr., Poe's grandfather, his Irish grandfather. I think I'm going to walk over to the Enoch Pratt Library now. It's not too far away. There is a room there, the Edgar Allan Poe room, and the Pratt, can, they hold a, a small, modest collection of Poe memorabilia. I believe some of it is um, held there, but uh, actually is uh, owned by the Poe Society of Baltimore. But I want to do a little bit more digging on the Raven. Let's go over there, shall we? I'm in the Enoch Pratt Library, and um, so if I whisper a bit and keep my voice down, you'll you'll understand. I did visit the Poe Room in the library up on the uh, second or third floor. I forget which now that I'm down here, but um, Poe's poem, The Raven, was published on January 29th, 1845. And it's the first publication of The Raven that had Poe's name attached to it. There's a history of him trying to get it published. He hadn't had a book published in nearly five years at this point in his life, since 1840. He, um, he had brought the poem to uh, his friend and former boss, a fellow named George Rex Graham of Graham's Magazine in Philly, Philadelphia. 
And um, Graham didn't want to publish the poem. Not sure what problems Graham had with it. But according to Poe scholars, he paid Poe $15 as a kind of charity, as a kind of goodwill measure to help the fellow out. $15 in um, 1840s money is not too shabby, but um, there you have it. He then, uh, Poe, he sold the poem um, to the American Review, and they paid him $9, and they printed it in uh, February of 1845 under a pseudonym. And... Um, Poe was luckier with his friend Nathaniel Parker Willis because um, Willis is the one who published it in the New York Evening Mirror on January 29, 1845. And um, Willis, Nathaniel Parker Willis loved the poem. And that, because it was a New York newspaper, uh, there was no copyright in the in America in the 1840s, and so The Raven was quickly plagiarized and reprinted everywhere. That's how well the public received it. And it is the, perhaps, in his lifetime, the single most popular thing that Poe ever had published. And as I like to say, it made him a rock star the apocryphal story that as Poe would be walking down the streets of New York, school children would follow behind him and yell out, the raven, raven, caw, caw. <laughs> now, I like to believe that that's true. Um, not sure how school children would recognize Poe. It's not like they necessarily read newspapers and periodicals of the day and uh, most periodicals and newspapers of the day were not illustrated. Uh, there certainly were not photographs everywhere. The image of Poe was not as well known as we know it today. But at any rate, um, the poem was an instant hit in the winter of 1845. And um, after it was published in the Evening Mirror, um, everybody, like I said, uh, printed it. The New York Tribune, the Broadway Journal, Southern Literary Messenger, where Poe was once an editor. And um, it popped up in anthologies as early as um, an anthology called Poets and Poetry of America, edit edited by a fellow named Rufus Wilmot Griswold. And he published that in 1847. Griswold, if you know Poe's story, uh, was a sometime friend and foe at a certain point, but we won't uh, spend any time on Griswold in this podcast, in this Poecast. And The Raven was so popular in Poe's time in that winter and spring that it prompted a couple of publishers, Wiley and Putnam, to publish a collection of Poe's prose. Uh, and it was simply called Tales. That was published in the summer, in June of 1845. 
And this was indeed the, the first book that Poe had published in about five years. So it brought Poe back into the literary establishment in a way. And to this day remains a poem that most everyone's heard and most everyone knows. In popular culture, the raven has been difficult to adapt into film, but uh, because Poe and the raven became synonymous, this didn't stop motion pictures from using the title, The Raven. The movies quickly found Edgar Allan Poe as material. And one of the first films uh, that feature Edgar Allan Poe as his own character is a film called Edgar Allan Poe, made in 1909 by D.W. Griffith. D.W. Griffith, of course, of the um, Birth of a Nation fame from 1915. But Edgar Allan Poe is a one-reeler. It's only about nine minutes long, and it came out in 1909. And the basic thrust of the plot of this nine minutes is Edgar and his wife, Virginia. And Virginia is dying and in bed. And he tries to sell um, his work, his poetry, and he is rejected and rejected. And while his wife, Virginia, lies on her deathbed, um, and Poe is trying to give her comfort and care for her, a raven lands on a bust of Pallas in the room where, raven, where Virginia lies dying. And he is suddenly struck by a fever of inspiration and writes The Raven. And none of that's true, of course. It's awfully romantic, very typical of Griffith and his work at the time. But uh, the film was also made uh, in 1909, as I said, and came out in February, February 8th, in fact, 1909. And. Um, was made to mark the centennial, the 100-year birth of Edgar Allan Poe, who was born in 1809, 100 years earlier. The next film, to use the title, The Raven, off the top of my head, is the infamous Roger, Cor Corman, Roger Corman film. And uh, it starred Vincent Price, Boris Karloff, Peter Lorre, and a very young Jack Nicholson. desires transcend reality. The mysterious powers of black magic, these you will explore. Now what is it you need? You got some dried blood off a bath in the house? The raven will take you careening through the darkest of dangers into the ominous mystery of a master magician's evil castle. 
the poem was essentially completely thrown out as a story and the title used because Corman and American International Pictures were having great success with a cycle of Poe films, many of which only used Poe's titles and went off into new stories for these films. Perhaps House of Usher, the first Corman-Vincent Price Poe film, was the one that stuck most closely to Poe's story. But The Raven was a completely other animal. The Raven was a story of dueling sorcerers and uh, betrayal, and basically was a comedy. Quoth the Raven nevermore. Of course, in the 20th century, there have been numerous short films, both professional and amateur, that have adapted Poe's poem, The Raven. But um, the next one that comes to mind is a film that uh, has Poe fans notoriously divided. And that's uh, a film from 2012 called The Raven, and only called The Raven because that was Poe's nickname. And uh, if you remember, it was uh, directed by James McTeague, and it starred John Cusack as Edgar Allan Poe. And if you, if you take it in the spirit in which it's intended... I think it's a highly enjoyable film. But uh, as biography, it's rubbish. There's nothing true about it whatsoever. There's, there's no reality to it whatsoever. And the final image of Poe dying on a park bench in the snow, as poetic and beautiful as that image is, that's not what happened to Poe. Dear God. Get the inspector. This crime is familiar to me. Edgar Allan Poe. To what may I attribute the honor of your call? The night before last, a young girl and her mother were found murdered. The daughter's body was lodged in a chimney. The mother's head severed with a straight razor. You're referring to one of my stories, a work of fiction. I'm afraid I am not. But the 2012 film, The Raven, is a, is a marvelous blood-and-thunder concoction of melodrama, a detective story that pits Poe as detective against a diabolical serial killer who is using Poe's po own stories, tales, and poems uh, as themes for his grisly, grisly murders. You may be uniquely qualified to cast light on our killer. The Pit and the Pendulum. Are there other stories in the collection? Specifically about murder? I'm afraid so. This killer is methodical. He wants us to know he's gonna strike again. I dare you to try to save your beloved's life. Where is she? He will keep her alive to keep you involved. It's part of his game. Emily. I would gladly give my life for hers. I know you would. I'll send you to hell! The Raven and how he got that way. So, The Raven makes Poe instantly recognizable, famous in his own lifetime. It's almost immediate. And this is 
This is an era where few people read, and they are only reading newspapers and periodicals. It's interesting that it is also instantly parodied. Um, but Poe borrowed the idea of the um, raven. It said that when he was first working the poem out uh, with his metaphoric imagery, he immediately went to the idea of the bird being a parrot. But um, he quickly moved to something which was much more ominous from night's Plutonian shore, and that was a raven. And the um, great British author Charles Dickens uh, had a raven, owned a raven, and um, used a raven in one of his short stories. And um, this very, very much inspired Poe and possibly was the, uh, the thing that pushed Poe over the edge to decide upon the raven, this thing of evil, this, uh, this prophet of unwelcome news. The story that Charles Dickens wrote that included a talking raven called Grip. Well, Grip was the raven in something called Barnaby Rudge, a tale of the riots of 80. And uh, there is a scene in, in the story that does have some resemblance to the raven. And it's the end of the uh, fifth chapter. Grip makes a noise and someone says, what was that? Him tapping at the door. And the response is, someone tapping softly at the shutter. So it really isn't a secret that uh, Poe was inspired by Dickens there. And that's another story, too, that we'll delve into in the future, and that's the relationship between Charles Dickens and Edgar Allan Poe. It's a very interesting one, and I dramatize it in Alone, the Life of Poe. Um, Paul Day Clemens will voice the voice of Charles Dickens, and Jeffrey Combs will voice the adult Edgar Allan Poe. But uh, anyway, it's a fascinating part of uh, the relationship between writers at that time and whether they were borrowing from each other and what were they, what, what, what were they doing to help each other's careers, um, writers being writers. As I mentioned earlier, Pose the Raven in his own time, while he was still alive, while the poem was making him a household name, was vastly parodied. And there were some writers who didn't like the poem at all, some of Poe's contemporaries. We won't get into that. You like the poem. I like the poem. Let's celebrate the poem. Of 20th, 20th century parodies, other than The Simpsons, which you've heard, my favorite all-time parody of The Raven was written and performed by Lord Buckley. Now, Lord Buckley was a stand-up comedian. He was um, quite, in some many ways, a groundbreaker. And uh, he died in 1960. But he was a monologist. 
And he began in the 40s, in the 50s, with a kind of shtick, his, his, his persona, Lord Buckley. And, the, and by the way, the actor's name is Richard Merle Buckley. And he lived from uh, April of 1906 to November 12th in, in 1960. But Richard Buckley created this persona called Lord Buckley. And Lord Buckley was certainly a project product of the jazz, the late jazz age and the beat period. And he spoke in the lingo of the beatniks and the hipsters and the jazz artists of his era. And it's a wonderful language combination of things that come from black jazz and the beats. And um, the New York Times called him an unlikely persona, part English royalty, part Dizzy Gillespie. Um, his work is marvelous, and one of the things that he did as a monologist is take famous speeches like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Oh, and by the way, Lincoln, it is said, um, loved reading Edgar Allan Poe. They were they were born in their lives paralleled, and um, it is said that Abraham Lincoln knew The Raven by heart and could recite it. But I digress. Uh, Lord Buckley would take things like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and translate it into the vocabulary of the hip. Well, this is what he did with um, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. The lords and ladies of the royal court, Edgar, the swinging Edgar Allan Poe's magnificent torch, The Raven, has translated into the semantic of the hip. Now you see, Poe didn't want that bird, he didn't need the bird, he didn't dig the bird, he didn't send for the bird, he didn't even know what Avery the bird came from. If they'd have knocked the bird on him, Poe's paid, he wouldn't have dug it. Cause he was hung in front for a chick by the name of Lenor, who had already swooped the satellite, but that didn't bug Eddie. He's still knocking that torch and coal on there, say, can they see me in Flip City? But just like I say, so many times, when you don't want the bird, when you don't need the bird, when you haven't got the first possible use for the bird, uh -huh. that's when you get it. And that's what happened to Poetti. He say, it was a real drug midnight. <whistles> Dreary. I was goofing, beat and weary over many a freakish volume of forgotten score, when suddenly there came a tapping, as if some cat were gently riffing, knocking rhythm at my pad's door. Ah, tis the landlady, I muttered, on her broom she flies the rounding, sounding for her rent, which only this and nothing more. Mm. No, if I ever get out of this spin, I. Mm. Mm. 
Ah, so solid I remember. It was in that bright December, and its swinging, jumping yumba blew its phantom upon the floor. Groovily I wooed the mall, still hung I sought to borrow from my book kicks, to knock the sorrow, sorrow from my gauntlet awe, for that sweet square, but swinging maiden, whom the fly chicks tag Lenore, nameless here, forevermore. Oh, man. And the silky, weary turning of each upper curtain moved me, hung me, with freakish flippers, never done before, so that now, to cool the beating of my ticker, I stood repeating to some strange midnight stud that's sounding a money beat on my pad's door, a deuce to cool the morrow, or some juice to drown his sorrow, some lightweight beef this, and nothing more. Jack, I said, or Jilly, if I've crossed you, <laughs> Don't jump saw, but the solid truth is this cat was napping and so cool did you come tapping and so light hip you came rapping rhythm at my pad's door that I was scarce sure I dug you. Here I opened wide the slam and jack. I dug the breeze and nothing more. Oh, what are they trying to do to me? I'll show them. What do they think? I'll fight my way out of this. What you... Oh, what is that? Look out, look out, look out. Take it easy, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. Stoned into the darkness peering, long I stood there. I was hung there, flipped and Fearing, king spinning dreams no mortal cat had ever rolled before. But the gas was unbroken, digging so hard my wig was gone. But Nathan shaking, Nathan showing, just one radar blip was going. The whispered word, Lenore. This eye sounded and it sounded back, Lenore. This one sad lick and nothing more. Oh, they leave me alone. Why don't they leave me alone? I backed into my pad, still turning. All this jazz within me burning. Then again, I dug the tapping, a stronger beat than was before. I'm solid hips that I don't dig what that is jumping to my window lattice. Let me get hit what the rat is, and this deep flip I will explore. Let my pounders stay cool tomorrow, and this flip I will explore. Jack, I drew a blank, and nothing more. Who do they think they are to do this to me? Gone full out, I flung the shutter, when with many a flip and flutter, in there stomped a king-sized bugbird Jack from way back days of yore. Not a minute tipped or hung he, not a minute brought or down he, but with stance of king and queen, he swung above my sweet pad's door, lit upon the busted palace. <sighs> Sad goofing there. And nothing more. I'm solid hip, said I, that you're no craven. Gas a grim and beat up raven, goofing from the night's plutonian shore. 
Swing hit me to what thy tag is on the night's plutonian shore. Flip the bugbird, nevermore. Solid wake me, this bird to dig me. Though it copped out not upon the score. For we cannot help agreeing that no single human being ever was so sent by seeing a wig like this above his pad's door with such a tag as Nevermore. Now you see this blasted bugbird came bugging Edgar and gave him such a dreadful time of it that Edgar now wants to divorce the bird. He wants to expel the bird. He doesn't care whether the bird Lou, Newly, nor Eleanor, or any of these cats. He wants to blow the bird. So he, I think the bird put one too many nevermores on him. I don't know how much they weigh, but it was just enough to flip that little Isinglass at the end of the fuse and <coughs> blow the whole gig. Poe is now flipping. He looks at the bird and he says, By this lick, you have flipped my meter. You nauseous gasser! You endless repeater! Screw before I blow my red house stack! Blow back to your plutonian shore! Leave no feather on my heather! Take your black jazz bow together! Leave this pad my torch unbroken! Screw from the roost above my door! Flip the bugbird, near as ever, me as <laughs> That's my favorite parody of The Raven, and um, Lord Buckley's, um, what would it be called? They call it uh, hip semantic delivery. It's um, really drawn from the beatnik hip and the jazz world, the people that um, Buckley grew up with uh, listening to Cab Calloway, Red Fox, comedian, Louis Armstrong, uh, Pearl Bailey, Count Basie, um, and he mixes, just puts this all in a blender with a certain panache of British aristocracy. And um, the joy, the humor in listening to one of his monologues, like The Raven, or The Naz, where he talks about uh, Christ or the Gettysburg Address or so many others is that you you know the poem, you know the original and you recognize the original in your mind as you're listening to the hipster version of it um, it's my favorite Poe Raven parody of all of them out there a year after Poe died in 1849 there was published in 1850 an essay that uh, Poe had written called The Poetic Principle. And it's based on lectures that he did. And I think that, and I urge you to read The Poetic Principle. You can find uh, versions of it um, on the E.A. Poe org website, invaluable website. Um, and I think that Poe fashioned his theories, his criticism and theories about writing poetry um, in hindsight. 
And in it, you'll find that he does talk about the raven. And he talks about poetry in general. And remember that Poe wrote most of his poetry, most of the poems that we know that Poe wrote that have been published were written when Poe was in his early 20s. They were written by a young man, very influenced by Lord Byron, darkly romantic Gothic romance, the death of a beautiful woman, which is another topic for another Poe podcaster or Poecast, if you will. But um, he lays out pretty much his theories if you are interested in the technical aspects of how the Poe poem The Raven works and its rhyme and its meter and um, he has a, a very clear explanation. Poe's poem The Raven also borrows its complex rhythm from a poem by Elizabeth Barrett called Lady Geraldine's Courtship. So the idea of the bird being a raven comes from Grip this bird of Charles Dickens. And the form comes from a poem that he greatly admired by, by Elizabeth Barrett. And like all of Poe's work, there are different versions of it that he himself tinkered with in his lifetime. All of these can be found, as I said, you can see these uh, different differences uh, because they're all collected on the marvelous website eapoe.org, run by the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore. We're going to conclude our Poe podcast, our Poecast, with a reading of The Raven, and uh, try and guess the voices in this compilation of Edgar Allan Poe's the Raven. The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore. Nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is, and nothing more. 
Presently, my soul grew stronger. Hesitating then no longer, sir, said I, or madam, truly, your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is, I was napping. And so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here, I opened wide the door. Darkness there. Nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering long, I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken. The stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. And I whispered back, and an echo murmured back, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard a tapping, something louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see what then thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a minute, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door. Perched upon the bust of palace, just above my chamber door. Perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven. Ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. <laughs> Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast, upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by replies, so aptly spoken. Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast, and followed faster, until his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope, that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven, still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling, 
Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking evermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press on evermore. Then methought the air grew denser. Perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee. By these angels he hath sent thee respite. Respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore quaff, O quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven. Nevermore. Prophet, said I. Thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden, whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word, our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted Never more. The Raven and How He Got That Way Written and narrated by Mark Redfield Original music and sound design by Jennifer Rouse 
Original content, copyright the Mark Redfield Company. Audio clips used by permission or for educational purposes. For more great audio, visit redfieldartsaudio.com today. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Closing in 10 minutes. Please take your selection at the checkout desk.